Welcome to Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Izagari. And today we are finally talking about Spike Lee's masterpiece from 1989, Do the Right Thing. It was nominated for two Oscars at the 62nd Academy Awards, and it was one of the first films I ever thought about when we created this show. Very excited to be here with you, my man, and talk about a classic. Yeah, I know this one has been a long time coming. We've mentioned this film maybe more than any film we've yet to actually cover until now on this show. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's um, a big part of that is we... uh, Early, early in the stages of doing Oscar Sunday, we did um, Dead Poet Society. Uh, and then about, about two months ago, right at the very beginning of January, we did uh, When Harry Met Sally from 1989. So we've done two movies from the 62nd Academy Awards. This is our third. This movie is incredible. Obviously, is one of the all-time snubs for a Best Picture nominee, uh, especially in a year where Driving Miss Daisy wins. And the two movies could not be any polar opposite <laughs> in what they're what, what they're actually actually con- conquering and getting across. Uh, it's a real damn shame it wasn't up for more stuff. I can't believe Spike wasn't up for best director. That's crazy. Uh, it got a screenplay nomination and supporting actor nomination. So, you know, we won't be talking a whole lot about the 62nd Academy Awards, but we are going to be talking about Spike Lee a lot. This guy is a fucking mastermind. And, you know... What's really cool about him is the first time I really heard about him was, or like figured out who he was, was watching, you know, New York Nick basketball games. Cause he's always sitting on the sidelines. He's like the East coast, Jack Nicholson, you know, Jack Nicholson's always, uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson's always at the Laker games with his sunglasses. Spike Lee is always at the New York Nick games at Madison square garden on, you know, on the sideline right there. Uh, usually wearing a jersey. Uh, I, I just, I, I have so many memories of watching him on the sideline and he goes fucking nuts. You know, he lives and dies by the Knicks. Uh, it wasn't until I heard about this movie, Do the Right Thing, where I was like, okay, I need to start watching this guy's actual work. And the first time I heard about Do the Right Thing is a, uh, actually a basketball show. It's a, a show on NBA TV. The name of it is escaping me right now, of course. Uh, it's called courtside something. And it's, uh, it's basically ex players hanging out and talking about their memories of playing and giving their opinions. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal's on it a lot. Charles Barkley, Chris Weber, these guys who work for TNT NBA TV. Uh, and it's just so much fun watching these guys, you know, reminisce about stuff. And there was one time where the host of the show, Ernie Johnson, who's also the host of, uh, you know, the TNT show with Shaq, Charles and uh, Kenny Smith, he asked them what their favorite movie of all time is. And they're going around the room and uh, it gets to uh, Charles Barkley says Braveheart, which I thought was great. Uh, (laughs) uh, Shaq says, uh, uh, which one was his? Don't be a menace Uh, (laughs) with Mr. With Wayans. Uh, And then uh, it gets to Kenny Smith. uh, Awesome player. Went to North Carolina. My favorite basketball school for sure. Uh, and then he, he, he says, do the right thing is his favorite movie of all time. And he says it's the one he rewatches the most. And it was then that I knew I, you know, really need to, okay, I need, I need to figure out how to watch this movie. So I did, you know, I was probably 13 or 14 and, um, I'll, I'll be honest. A lot of it went way over my head. You know, uh, a lot of the film, I didn't quite understand what 
Mr. Spike Lee was going for. Uh, and that's just because there's a lot of huge ideas in every single scene. The dialogue is incredibly well-written and it, way ahead of its time and timeless, which is kind of sad in some cases. Uh, but it's just a fucking incredible film, right? And so I, I, I immediately was like, okay, I need to see other things. So I bought this uh, Spike Lee joint collection with five movies and the five are Do the Right Thing, Crooklyn, uh, Clockers, Mo Better Blues, and Jungle Fever. Those are the five, five films in that collection. And I watched all five of those and I was like, good God, this guy's a fucking, he's a fucking genius, this guy. He's not just a, a one and done kind of director. He, he's, he's incredible. And it's so cool that he's still, you know, still right in the mainstream. He's still with us, all, you know, making, making stuff. And just uh, now, just a couple few years ago, he finally got his first Oscar win for uh, Best Adapted Screenplay for uh, Black Klansman. And I think that, if I'm not mistaken, that was when you decided, okay, I need to kind of watch some of this guy's stuff. Yeah. Spike Lee's a guy whose name I've kind of always known. Uh, way back when... In 2006, my mom and dad dragged me to see Inside Man because they wanted to go to the movies and I happened to be there. And what was I going to do? Wait in the car? Yeah. And <laughs> Love Inside Man. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. At the time, I was like, this is boring as shit. But years later, I watched it. And I'm like, this is a brilliant heist movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's just one of those guys whose name I knew. I used to confuse him and Spike Jones because, you know, I was learning. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I saw Black Klansman, I met you, and then Oscar Sunday. All of that kind of happening made me realize, like, I got to watch this guy's stuff. <laughs> and I borrowed that joint collection you were just talking about, and I marathoned Spike Lee's work uh, when we did um, our episode on The Five Bloods, which yeah. was the, the only time we've gone in blind on a potential Oscar nominee on this show. <laughs> Looking back, I'm like, what the hell were we thinking? Well, you, you know what we were thinking? We were thinking, Terrence Blanchard, thank you, God. <laughs> thank you for the for the love of fuck. Yeah, uh, when we were first doing the show, we had the idea of doing current movies that were like, oh, these are shoe-ins for Oscars. Thank God we don't do that anymore because, in, you know, in my mind, we would have done an episode on French Dispatch. God forbid, you know, it, yeah. didn't, it didn't get nominated for shit. So, yeah, we only go to the past now. That was the only time we ever did a current movie uh, was The Five Bloods. And it would have looked so weird to just have like the sea of gold and then just one blank spot on our catalog. <laughs> I'm so glad Terrence Blanchard got that nomination. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, I... I ended up watching most of his film. There's still a couple like little ones that are kind of hard to find that I haven't seen yet, but the bulk of every movie that people talk about with Spike Lee, I have seen. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, I think he is more missed than hit, but when he hits Jesus Christ, does he hit? <laughs> like, yeah. It's really impressive. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad we're, we're here to kind of bring all that back up. Cause it's, you know, just kind of been sitting around in my head for, almost like three years now. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking a, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, I think he is a relentless filmmaker and sometimes that can come back to bite you in the ass where like his batting average is not the greatest. Uh, I think I generally like more of his work than you do, but Fair I'm enough. with you. I'm with you, man. There's, there's some movies that I've seen of his, 
uh, that stand out as like, whoa, what was that? You know, that's not the work of a great filmmaker. Uh, but again, like you said, his his hits are fucking hits, <laughs> and and we're definitely gonna be gonna be talking about some of those today. We're gonna we're gonna do a top five uh, Spike Lee films, Spike Lee directed films here here in a little bit. Uh, we're gonna briefly look at the 62nd Academy Awards, and then we're gonna give our own awards out to do the right thing. So Spike Lee, uh, his first nomination is do the right thing for best screenplay, uh, and then later in the 90s, uh, 1997. Uh, his documentary Four Little Girls is up for Best Documentary. Uh, then he wins an, an honorary award in 2016 because, uh, you know, the Academy just does this where they don't treat the best filmmakers the right way. And they're like, oh, shit, here you go. You know, uh, so it's only two nominations through through the 80s and 90s, his best stuff, you know. Uh, and then in the late late 2010s, he gets an honorary award. And then finally. Uh, Black Klansman is the one that kind of breaks through. He gets a nomination for Best Director. Uh, the movie gets a nomination for Best Picture. And then he wins uh, Best Adapted Screenplay along with Charlie Wachtel, David Rabinowitz, and Kevin, Kevin Wilmot. So uh, that's a shared Oscar between four guys. That's such a great moment because Samuel Jackson is the one who um, is the one who reads off the ballot, you know, likely wins his first oscar his first proper oscar and you know they have that moment where he hugs him uh spike lee jumps up in the air you know a little spike lee on 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 samuel of course samuel jackson's a guy that uh is very important to the filmography of spike lee so really really cool stuff and and you know of course i think he should be up for way more shit and uh it's just just kind of a damn shame that happens to a lot of our our best filmmakers just get shut out uh and it's it's not right but he is there. He does have a resume and we are going to give our top five. So I'm really excited to hear what you came up with. Uh, I personally watched a few things from Spike Lee and actually one of them that I had seen for the first time is going to show up on this list because it rocked me so much. So I'm ready for this, man. What's your number five? Um, my number five is Malcolm X. Fuck. Yeah. What a movie. <laughs> now going into Malcolm X. I was like three hours and 42 minutes. Somebody shoot me in the head. But you, you need every second of this movie. Telling this story is that important. And Spike Lee was the guy to tell Malcolm's story. And Denzel was fucking robbed of an Oscar for that performance. Jesus Christ. To see, you know, from humble beginnings to this civil rights titan, it is such a powerful story of endurance and I just, I, you know, you get, you get sucked in, you can't help it. And with such a, you know, a violent, unfair ending to his life, you feel betrayed. Just, you feel like, you feel like he never got to kind of be as, you know, as significant as he could have been. And his legacy has kind of taken on a life of its own. And it's, it's a fantastic movie. It really does. Uh, the movie is better than the runtime. Like you won't, you won't notice is what I'm trying to say here. Uh, definitely a great watch. When I watched it, it was on Netflix. That was years ago. So I don't know where it is now, but seek it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well said. I think a lot of biopics, they either, they have, they have the biopic disease where they, 
commit to that two hour runtime and they try to fucking crunch in all this stuff about someone's life and you just can't do it that way. I think Spike knew deep down, all right, if I really want to tell the story of Malcolm X, I'm just going to have to fucking go for it. And nowadays, it would just get released on HBO as a four-part miniseries, like each thing being an hour long. And that's just how it would be. We'd all accept it. We'd all be okay with it. We'd be like, oh yeah, it's just, you know, each one's an hour. They're episodes. But when you do sit down and you see three-hour, 40-minute film, oh my God, you know, it's, it's daunting. But it is so, so worth it. It's on HBO Max right now. Oh, good. Um, uh, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, this is the year where Al Pacino, 1992, Al Pacino finally gets his, his dub, his, his gold for Scent of a Woman. But come on. I mean, <laughs> Denzel is absolute fire <laughs> in Malcolm X. And I, I, think, I think it's up for battling with training day. I think it's up for like Denzel's best work ever. Well, Malcolm X also is, you know, Spike Lee's known for challenging like for, for very challenging stories and for making people uncomfortable with his work. And I think the Academy has always kind of had a beef with him because of that. Cause Malcolm X is another film that got shut out apart from Denzel's nomination. And I think one for costume design, which doesn't make any sense. Everybody's wearing a fucking suit. So it's just, it feels like it should have had more attention. And that's a trend that just continues throughout Spike's entire career is mm. quality work and nothing to show for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Good, good, good fucking movie. Uh, my, my number five is, uh, is the film I watched for the first time this past week. Uh, I am on a mission to watch everything the guys ever touched Spike Lee and I'm not quite there, but I'm very, very, very close. There's a few outliers that I have not been able to get access to. Um, but this one is on criterion right now and it's called get on the bus from, from the late nineties, you know, I think, uh, you know, 1996, uh, I think Spike Lee was in a, was in a, was in a great place in the eighties and nineties and was a creative mastermind. Uh, get on the bus is very much right up my alley. It's a, it's a film about a group of, a uh, group of men that are riding on a bus from Los Angeles to Washington, DC to attend the 1995 million man March. Uh, this is a fascinating time for, you know, I specifically, I think black men figuring out who they are and where they, where they fit in society and how they have to stand up for, for what they want to believe in. And this movie kind of puts all of that on the chopping block, uses a lot of dialogue as these guys are pretty much on a bus, the entire film. And the cast is, is fucking bonkers. You know, uh, that's my favorite thing about it for sure. It's these, these Spike Lee mainstays who just all shine so bright. Uh, Ozzie Davis, uh, Andre Brower, who's awesome. I think that guy's so fucking underrated. Uh, Richard Belzer, DeAndre Bonds, Thomas Jefferson Bird, Hill Harper, Albert Hall, uh, Wendell Pierce, who's fucking amazing. Isaiah Washington. Uh, uh, yeah, H- Harry Lennox is amazing in this movie. I, I really, really, really like this one. And I was surprised that it, I liked it so much that it stole a spot. You know, uh, I really hope people seek it out. I think it's one of the lesser seen Spike Lee films, but I think it's a top tier Spike Lee. I think it's one that just challenges ideology uh, through and through the entire film. And I, I really like it. I think Connor, I think you would really, really like this movie. I think it's a very important look into a specific time in history 
uh, specifically American history and some of the stuff that it deals with as far as race goes is, is surprisingly, uh, you know, refreshing and very challenging. And, and I, I like that about, it. I love that about Spike that he's consistently challenging his own thoughts and the thoughts of people that he looks up to. And I, I adore that. I think that's one of his best traits as a, as a film, film, filmmaker. So yeah, get on the bus, check it out. 1996. Well, I have seen get on the bus and oh, fuck. Yeah. And I did like it a lot. Um, back when I was doing my Spike Lee marathon, when we recorded our Defy Bloods episode, get on the bus was my epilogue. I was like, wow. Okay. We, we already did. We already did the episode. I don't have to keep watching Spike Lee, but I was like, you know what? It's on Netflix. Give me one more. Come on. Give me one more. There you go. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. It was, as shit. It was, it was really good. It was a really cool, uh, innovative, um, dialogue heavy film that I thought was very, um, very uh, tame, like Spike Lee kind of simmering down a bit. And I liked that. It was a nice change of pace. Yeah, it's not so much. uh, Yeah, it's not that, you know, school days fucking in your face, like screaming at you. It's more like, let's think, let's think together and fix it together. And I really liked that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think it should be. I think it should be talked about more when you talk about Spike Lee. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, if you're going to write that much dialogue, like, how do you not get, if you're not, he should have so many screenplay nominations. I mean, not this, necessarily wins, but nominations. This is actually, this film is, is written by Reggie Rock. Uh, oh. It's not, yeah, it's, yeah. Hmm. Uh, Reggie Rock by the Wood uh, is, yeah, this is an incredible, incredible screenplay. And I was shocked that it wasn't Spike Lee. Uh, <laughs> apparently, they, apparently they worked together closely on it, but the, the single credit is given to Reggie Rock. So that's cool. Yeah, right on. Didn't know that. Um, my number four is The Five Bloods. Very nice. Okay. Uh, his most recent film, released in 2020 on Netflix, uh, right around the time of the, uh, I think the, the riots had just happened in at the White House. So everything was yeah. pretty, like, pretty uh, fucking heavy. And then here comes Spike Lee <laughs> with a movie about black soldiers in Vietnam. And I'm like, all right, Spike, help me forget this crazy shit. <laughs> and it is such a strong movie. Um, my favorite ever performance by Delroy Lindo. Oh, dude. Yeah, Delroy was robbed, straight up robbed of that Oscar. Dude, when I saw that, I'm like, he's going to fucking win. And then- Me too, me too. Like the entire award season, I was like, did you fuckers even watch the movie? God damn it. <laughs> but- yeah, this was um this was one of Chadwick Boseman's final performances. Uh, it's such a cool war movie. You got Jean Reno as like a arms dealer. Are you kidding me? Like this is an awesome movie that just happens to also be very retrospective about the black experience in Vietnam and the horrors these guys are living with. It's it's some of his best work in years, I think, Spike Lee. And I really am I'm looking forward to like him building off of this next phase of his career. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is definitely one of my favorite films of his from the past fucking 10, 12 years. I, yeah, I responded definitely to Defy Bloods. And yeah, thank, again, thank God for uh, Terrence Blanchard. I know. <laughs> who, who, who is, you, you can't talk about Spike without talking about Terrence. Terrence is the composer for so many of his, so many of his works. And the guy's a freak of nature. Just, just understands like exactly what we want to feel when we're watching these movies. And uh, Defy Bloods is 
right up right up at the top for Blanchard's work. Yeah, straight up. Uh, and also, you know, alongside that, a killer Vietnam era soundtrack of music yeah. by like Chambers Brothers and other artists, and just yeah, it's it's a great Vietnam movie. And uh, you know, I'm a sucker for a good Vietnam movie. <laughs> yeah, same here, same here. Especially from a perspective such such a specific perspective. Yeah. Good call, man. Yeah, Defy Bloods is is somewhere in my top ten, probably. Uh, doesn't quite make my list, but I I really like that one. Uh, my number four is probably the toughest uh, Spike Lee to watch, and uh, that's Four Little Girls from 1997 documentary that uh, I believe should have won the Oscar, did not. Uh, it's on HBO because it's a it's an HBO film. Uh, so if you have HBO Max, definitely check it out. There's not very many of uh, Spike Lee's works on there. I think it's Malcolm X, Four Little Girls, and maybe Mo Better Blues. I think right now on HBO, so you can you can get a little little Spike action in there. It's a documentary about the 1963 bombing of uh, uh, the 16th Street Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, you know, of course, 1963. The first thing you think of is civil rights movement. Uh, you think of Martin Luther King and, you know, the, the South, you know, Alabama is in, you know, very much in the South. You think of, you know, Ku Klux Klan, you think of all these things that are coming to, uh, coming to, to, to a meeting where it's like, okay, there, there has to be, we have to talk about this. This has to be, has to be recognized and talked about. And Spike Lee does just that, you know, Uh, my favorite part of four little girls is that in each of the, interviews you can hear spike lee very clearly asking the questions uh, and asking these people uh that are recounting you know recounting that day and specifically the four little girls that that died in that church you know they're talking to their parents talking to their sisters their brothers their friends who knew them very well um it's it's spike lee who's asking all these questions and asking them you know how do you feel about this and he he keeps it so respectful as uh, as he's doing this kind of journalist work, you know, where he's like trying to get these really tough answers from these really tough questions. And you can tell they're comfortable with Spike. You can tell these people are willing to share their, you know, deepest fears and darkest moments of their life uh, because it's him. And I, I just, I, I think it's a must see. I think it's a must see kind of documentary. I'm a sucker for documentaries. And I think Spike Lee, uh, does that just as well as, you know, straight up feature films. And it's, that's not easy. You know, I think Spike and Martin Scorsese are the two guys who can just dip their feet in both. And you don't really notice, you, you don't really notice the difference in quality. And that's incredible. So uh, four little girls, check it out. It's on HBO, very informative, not the easiest thing to watch. So, you know, be ready, be ready to have your mind move and stirred and, uh, learn learn some really really wild stuff uh that's just a nasty part of our history yeah i'll be sure to check that out um you know just made me think of the the wave of revisionist history we're experiencing in texas right now where the powers that be are trying to just whitewash any and all of our historical sins to paint a better picture of america and we can't do that. We need, you know, it's, it's heinous and it's irresponsible to erase these people. And we need to, you know, I think this documentary should be 
more well-known. I hadn't heard of it. And I'm, I, I 100% know because, you know, it's where I was raised. Like nobody, to- nobody talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. I, yeah. This is something I had to find completely on my own just by knowing who Spike, Spike is and being obsessed with his work and just kind of the, the filmography. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I, di- I didn't even know until a couple of weeks ago that it was up for an Oscar. You know, I was like, oh, you know, we could do this on the show. You know, uh, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah. You know, as a you know history buff and a, I'm currently getting my master's in history, hoping to teach it one day. I, I think it's incredibly important to remember these stories, to tell these stories, to keep these people alive in our memories. Otherwise, they'll be gone forever and we can't let that happen. Uh, straight up. Yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A, man. Um, my number three is a lot more fun. Um, Inside Man. Yes. Inside I, Man. It's nothing... Like it's so outside his wheelhouse. It's got like it's just a a badass heist movie. It's Denzel Washington versus Clive Owen with like old Nazi Christopher Plummer stuck in the middle of it. It's it's a crazy movie. Clive Owen is so brilliant. Like you just you know from the start, like he's gonna get away with this. You don't know why you know, but you just feel like nobody can stop this guy. And yeah, it's just watching these guys kind of go head to head and never actually meet is really cool. Uh, I love his like Indian soundtrack he uses. Uh, it's a it's a cool blend of like many different culture cultural influences to make this cool unique heist movie that has never left my mind. Even though like I saw it for the first time and did, like when I didn't give a shit about anything that wasn't like Star Wars and Spider Man. <laughs> so, but you know it's it's stuck in my head and I've seen it many times since and it's it's a great watch and a really cool movie and a good introduction to Spike's work. If you don't want to go straight into the hardcore shit, this is a good place to kind of dip your toes in the water. Uh, yeah, I, I 100% agree. I think Spike, uh, one of those key factors to him having the career he's had and had these different, many different kinds of films is his willingness to work with writers, to work with people who are not his own, that aren't, uh, you know, it's not his own writing. You know, uh, Inside Man screenplay is written by Russell Gerwitz, and uh, he also wrote Righteous Kill. So clearly the guy, you know, likes to do certain things. Um, and that's important as a filmmaker to be able to go out of your own lane uh, and not have control of every little bit of the story, but just have your own take on it. And Spike has that. He has that in his bag as a director that, okay, I read this screenplay. It's really, really fucking good. I think I have an eye for it. And Inside Man is, is awesome. Super rewatchable. Uh, definitely recommend this one. It's on something. I, I just can't fucking remember. I was looking at, I was looking at what's available for Spike Lee. And it's like, if you have all the streaming services, you can fucking marathon so many of his movies right now. Uh, and that that's, that's really cool. I love that. He's just kind of in the fucking, you know, in the ether for, for fucking, you know, being able to watch his films and go back and study, study his work and inside man. Good call, man. I had a feeling you were going to have that one. Yeah, I I like what I like, and I yeah. I like to make that known. <laughs> I like a good heist film. <laughs> nothing, nothing nothing wrong with that, man. Uh, my 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 number three is your number five, Malcolm X. Uh, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I don't think there's a whole lot more we need to say about it. It's just his lights out stuff from Spike, and 
Denzel, some of his best work of all time. Uh, I I adore this movie. I respect the hell out of it. It is one of those uh, one of those biopics where you watch it and you immediately are like, okay, I need to read more about him. I want to learn more about Malcolm X. I want to learn more about this, the process of this film being made. Uh, great stuff from Angela Bassett. Great stuff from Delroy Lindo in this movie. Uh, fucking hey, you know, this is this is a really, really cool movie. The screenplay was written by Arnold Pearl for this one. And uh, hats off to that guy. Uh, I mean, what, what, more can you, what more can you want from, from somebody? Uh, he's the dude who wrote fucking Fiddler on the Roof. So, you know, like the differences in, in, in uh, his work, his work is, is pretty, pretty fucking amazing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I highly respect Malcolm X and think it's pretty much a must see. wonder if he's ever written a screenplay that was under like three, 400 pages. Okay, we could look. Uh, I, that's the only the one that stuck out to me was Fiddler on the Roof because we've talked about that on this show and we both were pretty fucking surprised by it. <laughs> True, but it was also like three and a half hours long as well. Yes, 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 it was. Um, let's see. A lot of TV work in the 60s, 70s. Not the Sheriff, a TV movie. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are that's kind of his claim to fame. Uh, well, what's interesting to me is that this is a screenplay that was very much alive um, in the seventies because Arnold Pearl wrote it and he died in the early seventies. And this is a screenplay that lived on until the film was, was able to be made. And so with the, with the autobiographical book, Malcolm X and with this screenplay, Spike Lee was able to conjure up, you know, a a fucking movie. And, uh, that's incredible. The, the autobiography, which I've read a lot of is by Malcolm X and Alex Haley. Incredible stuff. Just, he's a guy you could learn about forever. And I think, I think a really cool movie to add on to, like, if you have the time, uh, I don't think anybody does, but if you have the time to watch Malcolm X and one night in Miami, I think that's a really cool double feature that, uh, will teach you a lot about one of our most amazing American heroes. I also love stories that, humanize these guys these mm. you know larger than life kind of almost like unattainable heroic figures you need to understand that like they were just people trying you know some making it up as they go along some doing everything they can to you know well do the right thing and i i like when a film can bring them down to earth and remind you that like you know they're just like you they're just like me they just mm. wanted to do something with the time they had yeah and some people do more than others. Uh, yeah, good call. Hell yeah, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad this is this is a movie that we both had. I think it, I think it's right up both of our alleys. Uh, just 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 perfect stuff. So yeah, Malcolm X on HBO Max. If you have to, if you have to fucking split it up, watch it over two nights. Do it. It's gonna be worth your time. I had intended to do that. I couldn't stop watching it. Same here. You know, I think we're both, we're both cut from the same cloth in that regard. <laughs> if a story gets us, it doesn't matter how long we're going to be going to, you know, going to be up uh, and watching, you know, that's just, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. But uh, uh, yeah. What's your number two? My number two is black Klansman. Mm, okay. Okay. Let's, let's hear about this one. <laughs> uh, this is such a cool story. Story of a black cop who infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, right there, like, there's your hook right there. You tell that to anybody, they're going to be like, I need to see that. 
Yeah, played, and the guy's played by Denzel's son. Okay, all right. <laughs> yeah, and John David Washington kills it in that movie. He is so good as Ron Stallworth. Uh, Topher Grace, weirdly, really good as David Duke. Never would have thought that, but you know what? That I know. Yeah, what the hell? <laughs> and yeah, it's just watching, like, you know, the story of how this guy used, you know, a, a white Jewish surrogate officer played by Adam Driver to be him in the sting. And then on the phone, he talked to David Duke and various clan members as an undercover police officer. And it's just so engaging. It's hilarious at times. And the ending is a fucking gut punch because he spike immediately takes us back to uh, Trump rallies during the first election and the people who were hurt and the way he fucked up this country's morals. He brings that into, you know, he, he tends to end a lot of his, um, films with kind of a poignant look into real history and I like that a lot I, that's my favorite thing about Spike Lee is how he always connects his films to the real story we're all living and that film just it, it knocked the wind out of me because I didn't expect that ending but it all made sense and I was like this is amazing and I, I never stopped thinking about Black Klansman and I'm so glad he won for it uh, yeah, what a, what a, what a film. I think, uh, that's one, definitely one of his best. It's one of my favorites for sure. Hell yeah. I, I knew that was going to show up, uh, show up on your list. Cause I, I remember, uh, I, I still remember vividly seeing this in theaters at, uh, at Alamo draft house. This is, this is when like right in the, the middle of me working there, uh, shortly after like meeting you and, uh, kind of connecting and sharing movies with each other and whatnot. And uh, I saw this with my now fiance uh, and we both were just kind of like, wow, that was an experience, you know, and uh, incredible work from the cast. Great stuff from Spike, of course. And I, I think that touch at the end is Spike being like, I am always going to be me. Um, I'm always going to leave you thinking and leave you wondering and just kind of looking in the mirror and I, I, God, I love that about him. I love that relentless energy he has. Whether the movie hits or not, he always leaves you with something to just fucking, ah, shit. <laughs> you know, uh, I have some homework to do. I have some thoughts to, to kind of take care of and figure out and really like that about him. I think, uh, that what he does at the end of that film with, like you said, the Trump rally stuff is very reminiscent of, what Ava DuVernay does in uh, the documentary 13th on Netflix, she shows very similar footage and audio that's comparing, you know, stuff from years and years ago to now, you know, uh, during Trump's uh, Trump's run in office. uh, And it's so weird and so dark and so, so, so scary. I think our, obviously our country's in a very strange place right now. Uh, but good God, it was dark a few years ago. Uh, like you said, with our morals, just being, just being in the gutter. So, uh, yeah, I like, I like when filmmakers do their job and call that stuff out. Well, it's just, you know, reminded me about like scariest thing about the ascension of Trump wasn't so much Trump. It was the people around you realizing who they were at their heart, at their heart, who they were willing, like what they were willing to give up for this guy who that, you know, revealing themselves, revealing their hatreds and their like 
ideologies and just having to cut out family and friends because he realized that they were monsters. I mean, you didn't even know these people. Like that was the scariest thing about all that, man. And that still happens. Like that's, you know, it's ongoing because that shit is just there. It's around us now. We're in a cloud of fucking hatred I've never experienced before. Yeah, fucking A, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I could tell you stories from just being at work today that, you know, I stuff I heard people say, and I was like, oh my God, you know, it's like, wh- what are you talking about? And and it's just, it's just sad. Uh, so yes, I, I think filmmakers being able to call that out, you know, confront it is, is very important. It's not just about entertainment. It's about waking the fuck up, you know? Uh, <laughs> Good, good, good number two. Good number two, man. That's somewhere probably in my top ten as well. Uh, same with Defy Bloods, where it just doesn't quite make my list, but it is, it is, it is very good. Um, my number two is He Got Game. Of course, He Got Game is going to be on my list. It stars fucking Denzel Washington and Ray Allen, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite actors of all time and one of my favorite basketball players of all time. Also, really good stuff from Osario Dawson uh, in this movie and uh, lots of basketball lots of basketball action and the opening, you know, credits are people from all over the country, you know, shooting on a hoop and, you know, just kind of the, the, the art, the craft of basketball is very much in play with this movie. And then you get this crazy story of, uh, you know, Denzel Washington's character is in, is in, is in prison for uh, manslaughter. He kills his wife uh, while they're arguing a, kind of about their son who's played by Ray Allen, uh, Jesus Shuttlesworth, which is such a fucking cool name. Uh, and in order to have a shorter sentence, he has to, uh, Jake Shuttlesworth, Denzel's character has to go out of the prison and go convince his son, Jesus Shuttlesworth played by Ray Allen to go to a specific university so that he can have a shorter sentence and get out of, get out of prison. Crazy plot. Very much written by Spike Lee. This movie is fucking wild. It takes some insane turns. At one point, turns into like there's like a fucking pornography scene in the movie, and you're like, "What is this? What is happening?" You know. And uh, Rick, Rick Fox is in it, which is fucking crazy. Uh, there's all kinds of all kinds of interesting cast members. And uh, at the heart of it, though, is a story between a father and a son trying to figure each other out and try to figure out their relationship. And Jesus is. Like, first off, why the fuck did you name me Jesus? Like, what kind of a goddamn name is that? And Denzel's like, yo, like, we called you Jesus because, you know, Black Jesus, the Black Jesus of, of North Philadelphia was Earl Monroe, Earl the Pearl Monroe, uh, amazing basketball player for the New York Knicks and the, and the Bullets. And it was really cool that they, you know, clearly Spike Lee just knows his shit when it comes to basketball. So he used all these cool things that if you're a fan of the game, it's going to reward you even more. And I've... I saw He Got Game at way too young of an age. Uh, I watched it at my grandparents' house when I was when I was a kid. I had no idea it was a Spike Lee movie. I had no idea. I was a you know I was like oh my god what is this? Uh, there's shit in here I should not be watching you know. And <laughs> I still very much stand by that. I think there are movies that you shouldn't see as a kid, and I think He Got Game is one of them. <laughs> uh, but God, some amazing stuff. Probably my favorite scene is. Um, I like a lot of the stuff of, of older, you know, uh, you got Ray Allen playing Jesus, but I like the actor who plays kid Jesus Shuttlesworth when they're working out together on the basketball court, him and Denzel and Denzel is fucking drinking beer and 
pushing him to the nth degree to become a better basketball player. Those scenes are really, really fucking powerful. And uh, I, I adore this movie. I've owned it for a long, long time. And without knowing it, it was my first Spike Lee movie. <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. <laughs> this is one I was not able to get to before, you know, when we did the initial marathon. And it's always kind of just been hovering over there as part of my like unfinished business. Like if I died tomorrow as a ghost, I'd have to watch that movie to cross over. You, you would, you know, you would, because guess who plays the warden in this movie? Ned Beatty. Oh, fuck. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's not in it a lot, but oh my God. And then Jim Brown, fucking Jim Brown plays one of the, one of the cops, uh, one of the parole officers who is helping Denzel find where he's going to be, find his son and all that stuff. Uh, Rosario, da- Rosario Dawson plays uh, the girlfriend of Jesus Shuttlesworth. Uh, her name's Lala in the movie. Uh, Mila Jovovich plays a hooker in the movie that Denzel Washington becomes entangled with. It's fucking incredible. The cast is crazy. Bill Nunn plays Jesus Shuttlesworth's uncle. Come on. Like, what, what more can you want? John Turturro? I, how could I forget? John Turturro plays his coach? Like, the fuck out of here. <laughs> you had me at Jim Brown. But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to track, I'm going to get this. I'm going to watch this. Um, I, I want to see this. It's, it, it is, it, you will love it. It's awesome. Uh, you don't need to be a basketball fan to love this movie, but the, the little basketball stuff, especially Ray Allen being in it, Ray Allen is one of the most gifted offensive players to ever walk the face of the earth. And him being in this movie, he's not a bad actor. He's not a great actor, but he's not bad. And it's really hard to find actor, uh, find, you know, athletes who can properly be on screen and give you a worthwhile uh, performance. And I think Ray Allen does a, a fine, fine job and he's going against Denzel. So give him some, you know, give him a, give him a break, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's gotta be tough. You know, not only are you acting for the first time you're acting next to fucking Denzel Washington. Yeah. 1998 Denzel Washington. Like you can't get much more, you know, fucking popular and huge as 1998 Denzel. Good God. Yeah. I've, I think I, I saw part of it on TV once when I was a kid. And I remember thinking like, who named, I remember thinking like, why would somebody name their kid Jesus? I remember yeah. thinking that as a kid, I was like 10 or 11 years old. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. At one, at one point his mom is yelling out his name. Jesus, Jesus. You know, all the kids are making fun of him because his mom's screaming Jesus. She sounds like a crazy lady. Uh, and he's like, God damn it. <laughs> You know, it's, it's great. Yeah. I love this. Movie. I thought you had seen this one. I, <laughs> I, th- I thought you watched this back when we did defy bloods. No, I couldn't get a hold of it in time. It was, you know, I, I ran out of time. I think it's on something right now as well. Um, actually, this might also be on HBO max. This might be the other one I was thinking of on HBO max. Yeah. Checking right now. Um, yeah, I've, a lot of his stuff is. I know. Um, uh, do the right things on um, Peacock right now. Peacock, so yes, yes. That. He got game is not on HBO Max. Okay, the yeah, French dispatches though. Just saw that. The fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Shut out by the Oscars. I'll never. I'll, I'll never be okay with that. How can you give Grand Budapest like fourteen nominations and not one for French Dispatch? Not one. How can you suck West Side Story's dick again and give nothing to the French Dispatch? What, what happened to originality? God damn it. 
Yeah, the movies that I've seen from 2021 that I, 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 it just does not make any sense that it's not anywhere is Dispatch and Last Duel. Like, what the fuck? The Last Duel, 20 years ago, you guys would have been stroking the shit out of The Last Duel. I guess Ridley Scott pissed off a lot of people with those later Alien movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah apparently. <laughs> Ridley Scott doesn't give a shit anymore, he, which is awesome. Ah, <laughs> oh, all right. Number one. Where did we go? Uh, to me, regardless of how many Spike Lee films you've seen, no matter how many Spike Lee films Spike Lee is going to make, there is only one logical number one, and it is do the right thing. Yeah, obviously, that's what I It's my number one. Yeah. Yeah. This is his yeah. definitive film. It represents everything his career has like tried to do. It's, it's the perfect film to represent Spike Lee as a writer, as a director, as an actor. And it's, it's almost like it makes more sense now in a weird way. Like this is a film that just kind of has a life of its own now and you can apply it to so many different generations and it makes sense. And that's really fucked up, but that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's the truth. And, uh, it's really good. Damn it. I've seen it twice now and it's fucking gold. I got to say, like there's there's no fat on this thing. It's a streamlined story. It's a perfect just, you know, boiling point explosive film with a great cast and I think I remember that he wrote it in like 2 weeks, which is, just makes me fucking jealous as hell as a as a writer myself. Like, how do you conjure this kind of magic in 2 weeks? <laughs> like, I uh yeah. Yeah, this is undoubtedly his best work, and it feels right that we're finally doing it on the show. Uh, It's so clear that a lot of this film is autobiographical, and yeah, you couldn't write it that quick. You couldn't do it unless those characters were just fucking booming out of you, you know. And God, Spike Lee, I, I would love to know, like. You know, at this time, uh, Spike was born in 1957. So, you know, he's he's 32 when Do the Right Thing comes out. And I would love to know just 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 what was it like to know while you're writing it, while you're kind of figuring out the you know ins and outs of the film. And he he had to have known, like, I have a fucking masterpiece at, in my hands right now. And every character is superbly written. There's stuff that I think, like you said, represents his career and represents filmmaking so, so well. It's scary good how, <laughs> like, how, how someone can do this. I, I, think, I think it's so hard to top yourself when you do something like this. You know, uh, I think for the rest of his career, he's been chasing some kind of feeling that he got when he was doing Do the Right Thing. And I, I think that happens with a lot of directors. You know, there's that famous saying where you're always trying to, you know, conjure up what you did with your you know first few films uh i think i think a lot of the masters last a lot of the master you know directors i think they they go through that they struggle with that and spike with do the right thing although it's not his directorial debut it feels like it's his you know it's his coming out party it's the one that got him that first nomination at the oscars and it's the one that made him a powerhouse name in hollywood and it was a guy you need to look out for this guy uh, and opens the door, quite frankly, for so many other 
black filmmakers to be to be heard and that is probably the most important thing he's ever done is the inspiration and the influence that he's had and it's kind of starts with you know it starts with you know i think she's got to have it and then do the right thing uh is the one that takes it to the next level so it was my number one i knew it the entire time you know i've i i don't think there will ever be a film i'll see no matter how many times i see it that will surpass do the right thing for spike lee's work and it's just it's a 10 out of 10 movie for me. It's, it's just straight up one of the best movies I've ever seen, uh, let alone in, inside Spike Lee's world. Uh, that scene when the different characters just call out all of those negative derogatory terms and then, and then it jumps to Samuel Jackson who's like, cool out with that shit, man. <laughs> like, that, is, that is some of the best screenplay I've ever fucking heard in my life in a movie brought to life. It's so ballsy, so out there, but, but so real and so authentic. And that's, that, that's him. That's Spike is he's willing to say what we're all thinking and he's willing to actually go that extra mile to make sure it gets heard, gets seen. And God, I love that about him. I love his, I love his relentless energy. Yeah. No one's going to put it. No one's going to shut him up. No one's going to shut him down. He, he has something to say. I also love just how fucking prolific he is. I mean, while he was on the set of Do the Right Thing, on his off time, he was writing Mo Better Blues. Like, yeah. just on to the next one, constantly. He's just constantly got something in there. And it just makes me think, like, this guy's lived a fucking life. Like, he has, he's seen and done a lot of shit. And I, I think, you know, like you said, you know, you need that kind of experience to come up with stuff like this. Uh, yeah, the guy's, you know, He's, he's Spike Lee. That's who he is. He's his own. He's his own thing. He always has been. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's so awesome. Some of the films we we didn't mention that are not in our top fives that are worth just highlighting. She's got to have it. Nineteen eighty six. Uh, School days. Nineteen eighty eight. Those those are of course the movies that come out before Do the Right Thing. The one you just brought up, Mo Better Blues. I love Mo Better Blues. Uh, Jungle Fever is yeah. what's up. Jungle Fever nearly made my top five. That's a great movie, but it is just so fucking self-destructive that I, I just, I couldn't do it again. I was like, I can't watch this again. It was good, but fuck, is it a downer? Yeah, for sure. And talk about a masterclass performance from Wesley Snipes. Jesus. Yeah. Fuck. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's countless uh, music videos in between all these movies. Uh, Jungle Fever, 1991. Malcolm X, 1992. Of course, we talked about Crooklyn, 1994. Crooklyn is one that requires i think a couple watches because it is very hard to realize wait a minute what this is just like a series of vignettes that don't quite add up at times like what's happening and you realize you realize it's it's about that fleeting feeling of life of you know sometimes you just watch a fucking show on the tv and you kind of just move on to the next thing and you're kind of a ghost you don't even know how you got there and crooklyn does such a good job of catching that that part of coming of age, that part of sometimes you don't just remember everything perfectly. And I, I really like Crooklyn. It it's also somewhere in my top 10 of his movies, uh, but it is, it is one that I think you have to be in the right mind space to, to, to watch. Fair enough. Cause I've only seen it once and I didn't care for it. Cause I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. It's just kind of like, what? Okay. <laughs> I think, I think, I think, uh, the movie that I've seen most recently that kind of reminded me of that kind of like, what 
was is a fucking licorice pizza from Paul Thomas Anderson, where it's just like, whoa, wait, this doesn't fucking add up, but all right, whatever, I'm going with it, you know. <laughs> uh, Clockers 1995, Clockers is awesome, super entertaining. Uh, that's one of the first ones I ever saw. Um, what else do we got here? You know, we get get on the bus. He got game. Uh, Summer of Sam, nineteen ninety nine. Bamboozled, two thousand. Really wild film. Uh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I watched that in uh, film class in my sophomore year of college, and we had to do an, uh, an assignment. We had to compare it to some other medium, and I compared uh, Damon Wayne's character in Bamboozled to Homie the Clown from In Living Color. And okay. Okay. I got an A on the paper and I was like very proud of myself. So I remember thinking like, this is a horrifically uncomfortable movie, but I got an A on the paper. Hell yeah, man. I like that. I like that. Uh, this next movie is my number six and I had a very hard time keeping it off my list. And it's 25th hour from 2002. Mm. Fuck. I love 25th hour. Uh, I mean, you get, you get my guy spike working with Edward Norton and fucking PSH. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I remember that was when we did the Philip Seymour Hoffman episode of uh, Filmgasm, the career retrospective. That was on your list. And it was such an odd movie. He was such a, his character's trying to bang a student. I mean, how do you get behind this? But Philip Seymour Hoffman's so goddamn endearing. You can't help but like see something in him. It's, oh, good times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times for sure. Uh, the next one is my least favorite Spike Lee movie of all time, 2004's uh, She Hate Me. Just not just not really a good, good, good film here. Uh, I think I, I haven't really met anyone who's like, yeah, that's really good. Uh, Anthony Mackie, Kerry Washington, you would think, you know, there'd be better stuff. It's just such a wild fucking plot. Maybe I need to watch it again, but it's got horrible reviews, horrible ratings. Um, I'll kind of stand by that for now that she hate me is my least favorite. Uh, and then, you know, inside man, 2006, which we talked about great movie, 2008's uh, miracle at St. Anna. That one's kind of weak too. I'm not a big fan of that, of that film. Uh, Red hook summer from 2012 old boy from 2013. Yikes. Mm. That's my least favorite. The fact yeah, that, that anybody smooth. would remake old boy, but Spike Lee really like what happened there? Where did, what was that decision process? I don't know. Yeah, that is one of the worst remakes I've ever seen. And a movie that does not need to exist. No one can justify that film. No, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, luckily, he he bounces back. Uh, Chirac from 2015 is a, a pretty solid film. Uh, then you get Passover and Black Klansman. Okay, you know, and then to Five Bloods. So, you know, he, he's he's back, I think. I think it's safe to say that with uh, Black Klansman and to Five Bloods. Like the guy, you know, he's he's back on back in good terms. And then there's a documentary I have yet to see uh, that I hear is absolutely incredible. And that's David Burns, American Utopia directed by Spike Lee. I need to see that. I've heard it's incredible. It's got uh, some of the best scores like on Letterboxd and Rotten Tomatoes of all of Spike Lee's films. So I would love to check that out at some point, but yeah, the guy's the guy's fucking, we're, we're just talking about his feature films here, you know, and documentaries, I mean, the music videos, the shorts, the commercials that like, he just, hasn't stopped working for the past fucking 35 years. So uh, hats off to him. He's incredible. It was about time we really talked about him. Yeah. Back when we did the five bloods, we were still figuring the show out. Didn't really have a, a big, uh, you know, format. We were kind of just winging it. Uh, this is it's good to kind of do, do right. You know, do the right thing. Yeah. 
exactly. And uh, so let's let's uh, let's go over some 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 sixty second Academy Awards shit here. Um, I really like the uh, screenplay group, but I want to look at best supporting actor first. Uh, this would be that's pretty pretty cool that Denzel won that year. Um, <laughs> Denzel Washington got the win for Glory. Uh, then you have Danny Aiello for Do the Right Thing. Uh, he plays Sal of Sal's famous pizzeria. Uh, Dan Aykroyd for Driving Miss Daisy. Marlon Brando for A Dry White Season. What the hell? Uh, Martin Landau for Crimes and Misdemeanors. Um, yeah, this feels right. I think Denzel is awesome in Glory. It's a really good movie. But Danny, Danny as Sal is a very interesting character study. True. Yes. I also find it kind of ironic that the only cast member nominated from do the right thing is, is the white guy. But um, yeah, that's a little fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have not seen a dry white season or crimes and misdemeanors, but the fact that Brando and Landau are here, that's some gravitas. Um, I, I don't know if Danny Aiello is the guy I would have picked from, from the cast for this nomination. Oh, hell no. I like, the cast at large. I don't want to step on either of our Philip Seymour Hoffman's, but there are like eight people who could have been up for, for this yeah. movie. We could table that for sure. Um, Dan Aykroyd, I love you, but go away. Yeah. What the <laughs> fuck? I would rather see Jack Nicholson for the Joker in that fucking spot or something like that. Fucking A. Yeah. I'm thinking Ethan Hawke for Dead Poets or um, oh, Jesus. Yeah. Or Defoe for Born on the Fourth of July. Okay, I like that. I would like that. Defoe, I think, already has five nominations. Let's get him a sixth. Why not? Yeah. Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, yeah, he's a guy who knows knows what it's about, and he's amazing in that movie. Just He brings me to tears every time I just see him in that movie. Uh, and then knowing what came after in his career is like, this guy, is, is this guy my dad? <laughs> I fucking love Ethan Hawke. Uh, everything he touches is, is, is gold for me. Uh, I have no qualms with that. Or just for my own personal pleasure, Sean Connery for Indiana Jones and the last crusade. I nothing wrong with that either. My man, how about uh, Bruce Dern for the burps? <laughs> no argument here. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so good. Beautiful. I love, I love 1989. Uh, you know, we, uh, we've done dead poets. We've done uh, when Harry met Sally, we talked about, you know, those movies and what it should have been up for and whatnot, but do the right thing is ju- is just a slew of stuff. And I think the performances are the first thing you look at other than spike, like how is he not just straight up up for best director? It's stupid. And how is it not up for best picture? Whatever. Uh, screenplay. Here is a group. Good God. Uh, Dead Poet Society got the win. Tom Shulman. Very good. Very, 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 very good screenplay. Uh, Crimes and misdemeanors. Woody Allen do the right thing. Spike Lee. Sex, Lies, and Videotape, Steven Soderbergh, and When Harry Met Sally, Nora Ephron. This is as good as it can get right here. This is a good, solid group. I don't need to take anything out. I don't need to put anything in. Uh, I'm okay with these five. Yeah, me too. And I am. I stand by the win for Dead Poets. I, I, I love that movie to death. It's probably my favorite movie at this, at this ceremony. And I, I think it's an amazing story. I'm glad it won. It's not only are Dead Poets and Do the Right Thing my two favorite movies from the ceremony, they're my two favorite 1989 movies. And good God, you know, uh, that's like ask, asking me to choose, you know, a favorite 
you know, if I had two children, it'd be like, choose your favorite child. Uh, it ain't happening. You know, it's, it, I'm going to change my answer on different days. <laughs> um, I love dead poet society. I think I would give my vote to do the right thing. Um, that's really, it's, that's really hard, you know, and how crazy is it that these are both original screenplays, you know, uh, how talented these guys are and how wicked important both of them are and how much they have to say, uh, do the right thing, of course, encapsulates so many things about our country and dead poet society is about being yourself and doing what you want to do and, and grabbing life by the balls. And they're both, I think complete must sees, you know, for anybody who like who, anybody who even says I like movies, I think those have to be somewhere at the top of your list for American, American films. You know, you just gotta, you gotta watch them. Uh, and if you're a cinephile, you know, get out, you, you have to see these movies. Uh, and then, you know, when Harry met Sally is a diamond is an absolute diamond of a screenplay. So this is a crazy talented group. Uh, it's really cool to see Steven Soderbergh get in there right at the beginning of his career. Uh, so I like this a lot. And then you got Woody Allen, who's kind of been there forever. And um, is probably the weakest out of the group. <laughs> yeah, he's, you know, he's just like, like gross now. Like, I don't really want to go into Woody Allen because that means I got to learn, you know, read about all the nasty shit he's done. And I just, I don't want to do with, deal with that, you know? Yeah, we have yet to do a Woody Allen film. Is that right? There's just this this cloud hanging over him of like, you know, dirty old man that I just don't want to touch. And all of his movies, you know, kind of have this like older guy, you know, trying to seduce a younger woman thing going on. And I, I don't like that. Yeah. One day, of course, we're going to have to do Annie Hall as a Best Picture Showdown. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like some of his movies. You know, I remember when we did... Uh, uh, Back to the Future, we talked about uh, Purple Rose of Cairo. Yeah, um, that wasn't too bad. That was pretty good. I, yeah, that one's I'm, pretty good. I'm a fan of Midnight in Paris. I like that movie. Yeah, that's one of his recent ones that I, that I, that I dig. Um, my favorite thing about Purple Rose of Cairo is I like to think about that, uh, that segment on Saturday Night Live, the Chris Farley show. And Chris Farley has Jeff Daniels on. Um, and he's like, do 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 you remember Perf Rose of Cairo? Do you remember making that movie? And Jeff Daniels is like, yeah. Uh, and Chris Farley's like, do you, do you remember when you come out of the movie screen and it's black and white, and then you come out and you're in color? And Jeff Daniels is like, yeah, yeah, I do. And Chris Farley goes, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, I always think of Chris Farley when I think of Perf Rose of Cairo. <laughs> God, I remember, I love that the Chris Farley show segment. I love the one he did with Paul McCartney, where he like oh, himself. And he's yeah. like, like freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you do you remember Beatlemania? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, I do. That was awesome. <laughs> and he's grabbing his pants. Chris Farley is like so uncomfortable and sweating, and oh, that's some genius stuff. Uh, the Chris Farley show. Uh, Anytime I can get a chance to shout Chris Farley out, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking take it. Uh, love that guy to death. Uh, but yeah, Woody Allen, it's crazy. We got from Woody Allen to Chris Farley this, but yeah, this, this group is really good and not taking anything away from Tom Shulman. But if I had a personal vote, it'd probably go to Spike Lee. I figured we've been kind of there since, you know, time in memoriam. And I don't think anything's going to change that. No, probably not. 
know, what would be really funny is if one day I, I rewatch Sex Lies and Videotape and I'm like, wait, no. <laughs> I've been wrong this whole time. <laughs> I finally watch Crimes and Misdemeanors and I'm like, what have I been all these wasted years? I'm like Squidward eating a Krabby Patty. Like, what have I been yeah. doing with my life? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Woody Allen becomes your fair filmmaker ever. Separate the art. <laughs> you just Ugh. lose your mind yeah that's great i love that um so without stepping on any of the performances what else should do the right thing be up for best picture best director anything else film editing for sure okay um cinematography perhaps yeah um picture yeah kick driving miss daisy's ass out of there put do the right thing in there yeah, I yeah I agree with that. Yeah, this is I I, I like this group. Um, you know, I really like my left foot. Uh, Field of Dreams is, is decent. Dead Poets is awesome. Born on the Fourth of July is pretty cool. And Drive Miss Daisy is just kind of like whatever. It's kind of you know just fucking forgettable. So seeing do the right thing in there would be would be nice. But you know if it was if it was our world, it would look something like fucking Indiana Jones, Batman, do the right thing, you know, <laughs> you know dead poets, <laughs> the burbs. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> uh, but it's not our world. It's the Academy's world. And that's how we get to do this show. So uh, we get to complain about it as well, which uh, by the way, you know, we don't talk about uh, the current Oscar stuff very often, but what they have done recently is a goddamn shame why would you make it seem like six or seven categories are the most important? We know they are. We know they are. We know those are the ones that people are going to really remember and memorize. But some of the stuff that you're cutting out is why it's hard to make a good film. And that should be the stuff that's celebrated. And them cutting out, what is it, like eight categories just so that the show can be better? Ugh, you know, just disgusting. And I'm not surprised because they do shit like this where it's like, okay, whatever. The changes you're making are stupid, but God, man, you know, I try to, I try to steer clear of current stuff happening in the Oscar landscape on this show. Cause I like to I like to talk about the past. I like to give, you know, credit where it's due for certain films, but credit is not due to the Academy these days. Well, look at like what we do with this show. Imagine how limited our pool would be if we just restricted it from like to like picture director, acting, screenplay. None, none of the other categories count. If we did that, yeah. like I wouldn't want to do this. Like, well, yes. Say say goodbye to undefeated. Say goodbye to Fight Club. Say goodbye to yeah. Rango. You know, like no, I don't want to say goodbye to those. No. Every statue matters, and they all are a piece of a film. You need every one of these pieces for a movie to work. And saying that you you know, basically implying that you hold certain parts to a, you know, to, um, you hold them sacred over these other ones. It's a disgrace to the nominate, to the people who worked hard on these, on these films, to the film editors and the visual effects guys and the composers. You're basically saying, fuck those guys. And what you're also saying is that you devalue the opinion of the only people who watch your fucking show, which are cinephiles who keep up with this stuff. You've got maybe 60 people watching this and you lost 40 of them. So, like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah, I, I really don't understand. Uh, I think they're trying to, to get back to some of the things that people fell in love with years ago. I think they're trying to do more uh, movie clips at the show. That's great. That's great and all. 
but you don't need three hosts. You don't need more music at the live show. You just don't need that stuff. You don't need it. It's, it's gotta be for people who care about movies and care about learning about movies and seeing the movies that they saw at the theaters that year get respected. And, and we are going to, trust me when Oscars, the real Oscar Sunday comes around, we are going to dig in and we are going to, really talk about some of this stuff and some of the mistakes that they've made over the years and just how it could be a great show that respects all filmmaking. And instead it's this thing that I'm just, I'm of course I'm going to watch, you know, uh, yeah. I'll probably, I'll probably be at your fucking house watching it. I just, I, 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 I get why people are turning the other way fast. Yeah. I would have thought when the, you know, with the parasite win with this new, you know, group of people who seem to value all cinema, who seem to value uh, growth that we, we were done with shit like this. <laughs> we weren't, you know, there was going to be any more devaluing. And here we are with the same old shit, different day. And I just, I, I have all the faith in the work. I have very little faith left in the Academy. Yeah. Straight up, straight up. And that, that's, um, I, yeah, I, I echo that. I feel the exact same way. Uh, Never, never, ever going to stop watching movies. Uh, but am I going to get more and more frustrated with the Academy? Hell yeah, I am. Uh, with that being said, <laughs> uh, we're going to continue the show. You know, this is never going to stop. Oscar Sunday is, you know, the name of the show. And we definitely highlight certain ceremonies and we like to stack movies up against each other that are at ceremonies. But you look at our if you look at our catalog in this uh, on this show this podcast, we're basically trying to find movies we love and movies we have always wanted to see, and yeah, that's that's kind of the point of it is to be able to talk about do the right thing, the master, the treasure of the Sierra Madre, Skyfall, you know, movies that we just fucking love, and that's the point. That's kind of the point of it. Yeah, the Oscar nominations are just a criteria. I mean, you know. We're going to find a way to talk about these films regardless, but yeah, yeah. Kind of looking at them through the lens of the Oscars has given us a way to, to kind of measure film history in a way we've never really gotten to do before. And, you know, now we're, you know, paying attention in a, in a real way. And I like that a lot. Yeah. Same here. And I, I think it's important to be able to recall when things came out and what they meant to culture at that time. Uh, I think it's important to know what, when did Citizen Kane come out? What did it do at the Oscars? What did it do culturally? What has it done since then? And do the exact same thing with a movie, like do the right thing. And I, that's, that's my favorite thing to do with movies is kind of reevaluate, give it, give it some context and, and have fun with it. So we're going to have a lot of fun here giving our awards out to uh, do the right thing. Uh, Jesus, you know, this is, this is some hard shit. <laughs> This is, these, these, these awards I was giving out, I had, I had, you know, I always have a sheet of paper that I, I write down some of the things I want to talk about throughout the show. And then I always have a separate sheet of paper for my awards. And this one was the most full I've ever had it for, for any episode. Cause I kept changing my mind, you know, uh, this yeah. is my, this is my fifth or sixth time watching this film. And each time I just kind of change how I feel about each character, how I feel about the screenplay how I feel about the fucking soundtrack, good God, and what my favorite scene is. So these were, these were very difficult to choose, but ultimately I got 
four things here that I, I'm very, very happy to talk about. So we got the Tarantino for best quote. We got the Ennio Morricone for uh, best music moment. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman for best performance. And finally, the Roger Deakins for best scene. So take it away with your Tarantino. I have three and I didn't <laughs> expect to have three. Uh, <laughs> all from different characters, uh, all from different scenes. My first one comes from Bugging Out. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, he and um, it's when he and Mookie first meet up, I think. And uh, Mookie asks how he's doing and Bugging Out says, I'm a struggling black man trying to keep my dick hard in a cruel and harsh world. I'm like, aren't we all? Yeah. Yeah. Just, that's, that's a perfect way to describe the grind. <laughs> just trying to keep my dick hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great writing. Beautiful. Um, my second one just made me laugh because I've never I, I I've never heard this in a serious movie, and I laughed my ass off. It's from Vito, and he yells, "Hey Mookie, forget about it." <laughs> I'm like, Are you, did he really just say that? <laughs> There's so many fucking Italian stereotypes in this movie. It's ridiculous, and I just I couldn't let that slide. I was like, he really just said, "Forget about it." Yeah, yeah. John Turturro. Damn it. Um, and then my last one is maybe the most insulting thing you can say to an Italian. And Mookie says it to Pino. He says, fuck you, fuck your fucking pizza, and fuck Frank Sinatra. Oh, so good. <laughs> Just so good. Beautiful. Yeah. Genius. Genius stuff. And that's the, that's the balls. That's the Spike Lee balls that he has to just go ahead and put that on paper. And then say it out loud, you know, <laughs> just, just fucking awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, highlights the, the kind of divide that's at the heart of this one, which is, you know, black people versus Italian people in this neighborhood and the constant, you know, just friction between these two groups through this pizza place that is clearly racist, but also really trying to make money. And it's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, it's so fascinating. You know, it starts with, uh, it starts with, you know, yeah, Sal and his sons, Vito and Pino, who are like, you know, they work at this pizza joint that's been there for 25 years. Uh, it slowly becomes a neighborhood dominated by African-Americans and Puerto Ricans. And uh, eventually they find themselves in their, from their perspective, they feel like they're surrounded and you know, you constantly get, uh, Pino saying, you know, we got to move out of here. We got to get out of here. Let's go to our own neighborhood. And Sal's like, you know how many pizzerias are in our own neighborhood? It's fucking dumb. You know, he has this, he has this pride in kind of standing as the lone pizza joint right on this block. And it starts with bugging out saying, why are there no brothers on the wall? Why are there no black people on your wall of fame? It's just Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Frank Sinatra. Where, like, where's Michael Jordan? You know, like, like why, why don't you have black people on your wall? Black people are the ones who eat here and give you your, your money. And it starts with that, you know, it's the movie's plot really gets going with that. And then you have the little, you know, kind of subplots of, you know, the Latino characters and you have the, the Asian couple who are running the, the convenience store, you know, and they're like, you're Korean or you're Chinese. And they're like, who gives a shit? You know, it's like, so, so volatile, you know, it's, it's so hostile in this area. 
between everybody, everybody attacking everybody. You know, it's not just one-on-one. It's like this, it's like your people against everybody else. And that's like everybody's perspective. And it's, it's a lot to take in, you know? And I, I, I really, really love that. It takes this simple act of someone being like, wait a minute, questioning something. And it turns into this entire, you know, disaster by the end of the film. Uh, my Tarantino comes from the very beginning of the film. It's, it's Samuel L. Jackson, Mr. Senor love daddy. And he says, wake up, wake up, wake up, up you wake, up you wake, up you wake. This is Mr. Senor love daddy, your voice of choice. The world's only 12 hour strong man on the air. Here we are on love. We love radio. 108 FM, the last on your dial, but the first in your hearts. And that's the truth, Ruth. <laughs> Such amazing writing. Uh, love Daddy has the best shit to say. I love when he goes through the long list of uh, musicians, black musicians and black uh, you know, politicians and civil rights leaders and athletes. It's so fucking cool hearing him, you know, go from Miles Davis to Michael Jordan to Prince to Charles Mingus, you know, to you know all all these incredible incredible people who have given so much to to culture uh specifically black culture and uh i really really like all that stuff you know love daddy i love when he says whoa 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 cool out with that shit man uh samuel jackson is such a great choice for that role and i i i think it's a great start to have the film kind of in his hands with his voice a familiar voice that we all have gotten to know very very well over time I had a feeling you were going to go with something senior love daddy said. I don't know why, but I had this feeling in the back of my head. Like, I think he's going to go that way. Yeah. I just, I, I love, I love Spike Lee's use of the term wake up. I, I like, I love it. I think it's a cool, like re uh, rehash thing over and over in his films. And there's always a good touch. One of the things I, I almost included, but I felt it was my Tarantino was starting to get a little, uh, a little stuffed. I had to, to cut some stuff, but uh, I had a lot more than three. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> it's when bugging out is constantly telling Mookie, stay black. Yeah. I just, I love that. You know, just, you know, keep your eyes open. Like, don't, don't, you're not, a t- you're not, like, Sal does not think of you as a son, no matter what he may say. Like, that's not your team. Like, be aware of that. Yeah just comes back in the end good stuff yeah really really good i love when love daddy says your love daddy says register to vote the election is coming up (laughs) i fucking love that i love those those little it's like he's this commentator uh i love he says the color for today is black that's right black so you can absorb some of these rays and save that heat for winter so you want to get on out there wear that black and be involved like so cool (laughs) fucking love daddy's the man I love talk radio dudes and movies because I, I always think like if I'd been born in the 80s, it's exactly what I'd be doing with this is talk radio. <laughs> yeah, doing the doing the yang and the yang, the hip and the hop, the stupid fresh thing, the flippity flop. Oh, I have today's forecast for you. Hot. <laughs> uh, that's the truth, Ruth. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love that. I love when he says that's the double truth, Ruth. <laughs> it's so cool. Samuel Jackson's the fucking man and he pops up in so many of my favorite fucking movies ever you know uh yeah respect the hell out of that that dude and this performance is really good oh yeah very cool good stuff all right um Ennio Morricone uh 
this is an award dedicated to music and do the right thing does such a good job of making you feel whatever song is playing. It's, it shows that music video talent that Spike Lee has, you know, um, and it pours over into, into this film. So what'd you give your uh, Inyo Morricone award to? I knew this was going to be something involving public enemy. I just had to pick my scene and it's the opening credits with Rosie Perez dancing around to fight the power. Same here. Same here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so audacious. This, that, that opening bit. Oh, I looked into the uh, the backstory of Rosie Perez because this was her debut, mm-hmm. and uh, Spike Lee was at a club, and she was dancing on like a giant speaker, and he was like, "She's probably gonna get hurt." So he intervened. It was like, "A uh, lady, you should probably get off that." She, she's like in her thick Puerto Rican Brooklyn accent was like, "Fuck you, man!" Like super drunk, and he was like, "I love your voice. Do you want to be in my movie?" <laughs> and that's yeah. how Rosie Perez got an acting career. Yeah, yeah, here's still working today, you know. Uh Rosie Perez is great. She's she's a one of a kind kind of actress and having her just dancing in these different outfits at the beginning and the lighting, the music, everything about it is such a powerful introduction to any film. Uh and it's it's Spike Lee Spike Lee's kind of uh fucking signature is is just doing shit that's out there in the middle of his movies at the beginning of his movies at the end of his movies you're just kind of like what the fuck but you can't look away you know and of course fight the power is a big 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 part of this movie public enemy um what a what a cool fucking rap group public enemy is uh and i love that fight the power radio rahim i love that it's used throughout the film i love that Reddy Rahim is is a question at one point. Like, don't you got anything else on there? He's like, I fucking love Public Enemy. <laughs> you know? Public Enemy is my shit. He's like, come on. Like, it's so cool. I love that. I love that. Shout out to Chuck D and uh, that song specifically. Yeah. I, you know, my, my parents were big, uh, big rap fans. So, uh, 90s hip hop, especially. So growing up, I always heard Public Enemy. Fight the power has been in my head since I was two. So I, you know, I'm sure that has a lot to do with who I am today, (laughs) but um, yeah, it's, I love that song and I love using that song to illustrate a point and spike maybe better than anybody uses music to illustrate a point. Uh, Well done. And also after I watched it could happen to you, I really fucking hate Rosie Perez. It's got nothing to do with her personally, but her character in that movie was the most toxic psychopath I've ever seen. So it's hard to get away from that. I recommend watching that movie. Well, there you go. That's that's the sign of a great performer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. Awesome, man. Yeah, I love, I love that we both went. I, I had a feeling it's hard to deny that opening scene uh, with Rosie and Fight the Power. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. This is the one I'm most curious about because you just got a fucking gauntlet of incredible you know, character actors and performers here so who who wins this movie from a performance standpoint from a performance standpoint it's an actor i didn't realize who it was until i saw the cast list and i'm like holy fuck that guy's got range Giancarlo esposito as bugging out that's what i chose are you kidding yes (laughs) oh my god bugging out yeah yeah bugging out bugging out wins the movie for sure he's 
God, Giancarlo Esposito. And of course, you know, you and I are both huge, huge, huge Breaking Bad fans. And to see him at this age doing this, working with Spike and playing this character bugging out, which of course bugging out is this incredible term. A tribe called Quest makes a song in the nineties named after bugging out. Uh, And this is a performance to behold. I was, I was going between a few characters, but I could not get bugging out out of my head. The, the, the fucking hoops that he goes through as a character and the, 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 the range he has in this movie is crazy from the comedic timing to the end of the film when you're like, oh my God, that guy just made me cry. You know, um, I, I fucking love this performance. I am literally rocking a Breaking Bad t-shirt right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. I came here to represent. <laughs> Giancarlo. <laughs> Gus I, honestly, I thought, I didn't realize until I started watching Spike Lee's films that Giancarlo Esposito has been around forever. I thought he was like a recent addition to culture with his character of Gus Fring. But no, this is just the latest in a long line of unforgettable performances that this guy has done. Yeah. And I'm so glad I've gotten to see these. And Bugging Out is such a cool character. He's one of the few guys to, you know, fuck with the status quo and question, you know, what's going on in their neighborhood. And he fucking pays for it. It's, it's really sad, but I do love his, you know, attempt to, to make his point known, to, to make a stand. And also, like you mentioned, you know, he, he's also really fucking funny at times. Just saying, like the whole bit when he uh, goes after the the white guy for scuffing his shoes. Oh my god! Yeah, he's like, you know, why don't you go back where you came from? He's like, I was born in Brooklyn, and everyone goes, ah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I God, that that scene is incredible. You got the white guy, fucking Clifton is his name, and he's wearing a Larry. He's wearing a Larry Bird shirt, you know, uh, and bugging out. It's like, yo, you almost knocked me down, man. The word is excuse me. <laughs> Not only did you knock me down, you stuffed my brand new white Air Jordans that I just bought. And that's all you can say is not excuse me. And the guy's like, what are you, serious? And he's like, yes, I'm serious. I'll fuck you up two times. (laughs) I love that shit. I love when he says, uh, who told you to buy a brownstone on my block in my neighborhood on my side of the street? (laughs) Oh, man. I love how Spike goes out. out of his way to make this guy like the whitest dude in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's a freckled ginger named Clifton with a Larry Bird jersey on. I mean, good lord! Yeah, and he's like, got like high. He's got high shorts on. He just got done cycling. You know, it's like all these just white things like that that, that, are, that are happening. Like, how uh, does this guy not burst into flames the second he goes outside and the sun hits his hits his skin? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! It, yeah. But, uh. Great. I'm go- I, I, I did not think we were both going to go bugging out, but that, we're on the same fucking wavelength so often. That, that blows me away. Because, yeah, uh, John Klaus Pacito should have been up for Best Supporting Actor. Good. Yes, yes he should have. And, and, and Demer, Aussie Davis, is lights out in this movie as well. I think they both should have been up. I think if you're going to give one of the, one of the fucking white guys uh, nominations, John Turturro. John Turturro has been shut out of the Oscars so many fucking times. It's embarrassing. I mean, you know, Barton Fink, Miller's Crossing, The Big Lebowski, everything he's done with Spike Lee. I mean, why does the Academy hate this guy? Quiz show. Like what? How many times does he have to prove himself? Incredible. Yeah, incredible. That 
Turturro's like one of the greatest character actors to ever live. Yeah. And he is scary in this movie. Um, I think, uh, I, I think, I think a lot of people have something to say, you know, I think, I think Spike Lee as Mookie is a really good performance for, for lead actor. Um, I like, I, I, I kind of like everybody in it, but there's something about Giancarlo that just, he's who I think about. I love Bill Nunn as Radio Raheem. Good God. You know, uh, of course, Bill Nunn is someone that I just kind of got, got acquainted with, with the fucking Spider-Man movies, Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies. And then you, uh, you get older and you realize, Oh, these guys have a whole career. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I, I kind of love that about watching movies. Giancarlo though, it's just after watching Breaking Bad and seeing this guy's range, that's that's the transformation part that got him the the PSH for me. Is like this is the same man. This is bugging out, and it's Gus Fring, and it's the same guy wearing both those costumes. And I can't fucking comprehend that. <laughs> yeah, I man, I also I also thought about like kind of an underrated performance in this movie is, is uh, Ruby D as mother sister. <clears throat> She's got some crazy things to say and some stuff that kind of sticks with you after the film's over and Ruby D's Ruby D's a fucking legend. Uh, I really like the, the three guys that are just hanging out. Uh, Robin Harris as sweet Dick Willie, Paul Jim, Paul Benjamin as ML and Frankie Faison as a uh, coconut Sid. Those guys are, those guys are fucking incredible in this movie. Uh, there's really not a weak link. Richard, Richard Edson as Vito. Uh, I really like him. Uh, what's really cool about Richard Edson um, is that that time that you and I got to go to uh, Los Angeles about two months ago now, when we were going around that room, uh, the Spike Lee room that was like dedicated yeah. to him, you know, there were, there were all those films that were signed by, you know, other, other people, movies that he's not even involved with Spike Lee. It's just movies that, he's either a fan of or inspired him, whatever, whatever it may be. And stranger than paradise is one of those movies, a Jim Jarmusch film from 1984. And Richard Edson plays one of the main characters in that movie. And so just five years later, likely he's like, I want to work with that motherfucker, you know, and here it comes to fruition right here. You know, uh, sometimes you get to work with people that inspired you. And I'd like to think that they both got to work with each other in that way. Uh, Edson and, and him and it's cool that they're kind of buddies in the movie that Edson's the one who kind of extends a hand out to, to Mookie and is like hey man I got, I'm willing to listen to you because you're willing to listen to me yeah and then Pino's constantly you know punishing him for trying to give Mookie a chance at a dialogue yeah some people are so trapped in their hate that they can't see anything else but red and I, I feel sorry for those people. Yeah, same here, man. Same here. And that definitely hits home in this movie where you're just kind of like, okay, some people are just not going to let it go. And uh, the whole like, well, let's get over our differences thing is just not, not as easy as it seems. Uh, wow. Really cool that we both went Giancarlo. That's great. From, <laughs> from, from Gustavo Fring to Bugganau. Uh, <laughs> I love it. Uh, the Roger Deacons. Best, best scene from the movie. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I chose a stretch because it is very hard to because this movie takes place in one day and it just kind of is this beautifully flowing thing that doesn't really ever have any, any breaks. You know, you're just kind of, you're kind of in it. 
the whole time. So I, I chose a stretch. What about you? I chose a single scene because it blew me away because it made me have an epiphany. And I fucking loved that. Um, Radio Raheem telling the story of the two hands. Ah, yes. Almost chose this for my uh, Tarantino. Yeah. Love and hate. And I chose this because I just watched The Night of the Hunter not two months ago for the first time. And this is ripped right from Night of the Hunter. Robert Mitchum is telling this story. He has love and hate tattooed on his knuckles. And he tells this story as a way to lull people into a false sense of security, thinking he's a preacher. And now to have that story reclaimed as a story of pride is fucking awesome. And also seeing Spike Lee's stretch in terms of the films that he, you know, is inspired by. Night of the Hunter has something in Do the Right Thing. That is unbelievable and just really blew my mind in terms of scope when it comes to cinema. And I, I just had a moment of clarity of like, this is beautiful. Uh, so there, that's why I picked it. Beautiful, man. I, yeah, I have no problem with that. And that's such a cool, cool touch for the film that he's wearing those, you know, and Radio Rahim, the way Radio Rahim is, is filmed is so fucking captivating. Uh, yeah, good, good, good pick. I almost, I almost chose that whole bit for my Tarantino. Um, yeah, I, I, you could probably, you could probably guess the stretch of, stretch of the movie is 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 about the last twenty minutes. Um, from Radio Rahim um, being being choked out and he's killed right in front of Sal's Pizzeria after he, you know, has his. Uh, radio destroyed by Sal uh, and then the police show up and the police police kill, straight up murder him uh, in the middle of the street um, and then you have this kind of community you know outrage and Mookie throws the trash can through the window and everybody you know the, the place is on fire everybody's fucking going crazy you know and um a lot of stuff in between, you know, that's happening. There's lots of like, incredible dialogue. Uh, Smiley at one point says, yeah, but one of the officers was black, you know, and you're like, oh my God, there's like little bits of dialogue that are just like, what the fuck? You like really makes you have to like pause the film and think, but you can't because you're so glued to the screen and this inc- incredible direction from Spike watching this just chaos. Uh, it's all of that. And the, 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 the last little bit that I, that I am just completely rocked by is when Smiley goes back in to Sal's and puts the picture of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X on the wall, on the wall of fame next to all the white uh, Italian Americans. And that's, that's all I wanted. You know, there's a little recognition, uh, a little inclusion. And because of that, because of bugging out and Rady Rahim being like, you know, what the fuck? Like, we want, we want recognition. We want to feel included. We want to feel like we're a part of our community when we go eat pizza. You know, people die. People go to prison. Uh, and that just feels far too, far too real to, you know, things that have happened in modern society. And the fact that Spike Lee was able to capture that at the time for it to be really relevant and for it to be relevant now is probably not something he was going for, but he could see, he could see happening. And, you know, uh, then his, then his character Mookie wakes up and is like, I'm going to get my motherfucking money. And he goes and him and Sal have this really intense dialogue about, about money and about 
how Sal built the place with his bare hands. And, you know, he walks away. He gets his, he gives him $500, but he gives him $200 back. And he says, now I owe you 50. And Sal's like, are you fucking kidding me with this shit? And he's like, no, I'm a man of my word. You know, like I got what I did, you know, my salary for the week is $250. Now I'm going to fucking move on with my life. And uh, then the film ends and you're kind of like, okay, uh, what am I supposed to do now? And then it fucking punches you in the face again by showing the Malcolm X quote and the Martin Luther King quote uh, back to back and how these two, you know, fucking titans of, of the civil rights movement, how even their idea, ideas and philosophies clashed at times. And that it feels like sometimes doing the right thing is by everyone's own definition. And, you know, that's, that's some powerful shit to put in a movie. And Spike Lee has not really been topped since uh, in this kind of a subgenre of talking about black and white issues and American issues. And uh, Spike's kind of the king of it. So I, I think that last 20 minutes is just like balls to the wall, like jaw on the floor, incredible filmmaking, and extremely important to watch uh, with all the context that comes before it this movie is pretty much perfect and I couldn't stay away from that. I couldn't choose one thing. If I were to choose one, you know, frame, it would be smiley going back in and putting the picture on the wall. Um, smiley, this character who stutters nonstop and everybody's like, get the fuck out of here, smiley, you know, and he's the one who's like, this is all we wanted, you know, is that. And just so sad that it started out just bugging out saying, Hey man, can you put like a few black people on the wall? That's it. That's all we're asking. And you get this, you get this whole thing. And that's what happens in real life. I got the vibe. Sal was not charging white people $2 for extra cheese. Yeah, no, no, not at all. It's specifically Radio Rahim and the way he comes at him. Uh, yeah. If you're, if you're like submissive, he'll, he'll be like, yeah, you're cool. You're cool with me. If you're not, he's just, he goes back to like his, his roots, his DNA of being just prejudiced as fuck. Oh yeah. I, I, I figured you were going to go with that stretch because it's so significant to the movie. So I felt comfortable getting to have my Night of the Hunter moment because I figured we'd be going there. That's, that's cool as hell. Uh, I also really, really dig some of the little bits. Uh, you know, like when Demare goes into the convenience store and he's looking for Miller High Life and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Asking a man to change his brand of beer is just wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those little bits they're so authentic and that's the best shit from from spike lee is is his ability to to seamlessly put characters that obviously are real to him onto the screen and that's why it's so impactful to us because everything they're saying is like oh my god i can picture someone saying that and that's like the beauty of filmmaking is every now and again it's not just entertainment. It's like, whoa, I feel like I'm here. I feel like I'm there. And Spike, Spike, Spike will do that to you. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Um, one of my favorite little moments is during the, um, the burning down of the pizzeria when they start turning their sights on the, the, the uh, Korean convenience store. And the one guy is like, I'm black. Like, no, like, I'm, and they're like, you're not black. But then one of the guys is like, you know what? You're all right. And they just, walk away yeah like it's such a, a moment of like 
you know what? Maybe there's something to that. Like, you're not, you know, you're not the enemy, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like, like, let's let it slide. Let's let it go. You know, uh, there, that's very real. That's a very real thing. That's a very real way of people act. Like, let's turn our attention back to the, to the enemy and, and not get distracted. That's it's Yeah. God, do the right thing. We could have a whole, you know, fucking show just dissecting what this movie's trying to tell you and what it's trying to do. And, um, the performances and, and Spike Lee, of course. One last question. Do you subscribe to the theory that Mookie threw the trash can because he turned on Sal or he threw the trash can to save Sal? Oh, man, that's tough. That's really tough. I think Mookie does his best throughout the film to hold it together, to play along the lines of staying black but also, hey, this is my job. This is where this is how I get paid. Yeah, and this guy pays me my weekly. This is how, this is how I survive. Um, and that that's a whole another fucking study you could do about people who feel like they're trapped somewhere because this is where I get paid. So I kind of got to do what they say. When he throws the trash can, there's definitely a sense of I'm fucking sick of this shit. But there's also, like you said, the underlying of. Because when he throws it, he just sits back down on the curb next to his sister and is like, just watching the chaos, watching watching shit burn, you know. So I think there there could be some truth to both, but I, I don't know, man. I don't know if I could ever. I might have to see it a few more times to really figure that out, you know. I think the fact that he threw it and then went and sat back down, coupled with the film's title, "Do the Right Thing," I think he realized in that moment like this mob's going to kill them, and he had to divert their attention. I think that's what it was. But, you know, next time I watch this film, I could, I could think something else. Yeah, I've, I've heard people say the whole point of the film is that no one does the right thing. And mm. everyone lets their demons, like, just take over. Uh, Shit. That, yeah, that's, that's a whole other... I hope, yeah. we're, hope we're better than that. God damn. Yeah, you know, you could talk about this movie forever. Uh, the Letterboxd reviews are fascinating, you know. Uh, most people are just praising the hell out of it. But, you know, people have their interpretations and... Uh, I could definitely sit on there forever. Especially when it's a movie that that's this big and means this much to, to culture and to society. So yeah, do the right thing. Uh, like you said, it's on Peacock. Um, it's available, you know, all over the place though. You can, you can find this movie to own pretty much anywhere. So definitely, definitely buy it. If you don't have it, I know both of you, both you and I have it on our shelves and it's not going any fucking where. So this was a blast. Um, obviously, a tough film to talk about, but also an amazing film to talk about. And that's that's sometimes the point is to go to the go to the tough places and figure out what you love about something. But uh, next week we're going to be changing up the pace quite a bit. Um, I'll start by saying tomorrow on Sneak Preview we will have uh, an episode on Studio Six 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 and No Exit. So. Very different from what we're talking about today. If you want to, if you want a palate cleanser, you know, if you want, <laughs> if you want to just change it up completely. After that, we will be starting a Batman bonanza, and that's because the new Batman, uh, Matt Reeves Batman, is going to be coming out. And God, man, how 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 ready are you for this? <laughs> I could honestly, I, I this is the film of the year for me. I'm I'm pumped. I'm so excited. I, I feel like I've been waiting a decade. I want this movie. 
So give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. So we're going to use that energy and we're going to fucking bottle it up. And on Wednesday uh, on Filmgasm, uh, there'll be some discussions about Batman from 1989. Absolute classic. One of my favorite Batman films of all time. Very excited to hear what we get, get out of that episode. Uh, and then on uh, beyond the bad, uh, this upcoming Friday, it'll be Batman forever, which is, you know, <laughs> you, know you know, not, not the best, not the best Batman, but it's definitely a fun one to talk about. Keep it, keep it, keep it with uh, you know, the Cape crusader. We have to. And then next week on this show, next Sunday, uh, we'll be talking about 2005's Batman begins, which will be an absolute blast. You know, Batman begins, of course, is a film, a Christopher Nolan film that kind of, you know, you know, along with, uh, I think, you know, the Incredibles and Batman, uh, you know, Dark Knight and Iron Man, I think is like, okay, superhero movies are here to fucking stay. So buckle up. Uh, I think Batman Begins is a big part of that catapult. And then finally, a Monday, uh, the Monday after that Sunday, uh, there will be a big episode on the Batman, uh, the new film. So this upcoming week is going to be badass. I'm super excited to just kind of live in the, you know, the fucking gutters of Gotham for a little while and stay there, you know, and, and go from, you know, uh, a really good uh, 1989 Batman to, you know, some weird 90s Batman to early 2000s. It's like rejuvenated. Hey, here's our new, you know, new version of the Batman. And then finally the newest Batman. So it's, it's cool. We kind of ha- are going all over the place. Yeah. We're kind of just doing a chronology of Batman on the big screen. And that's going to be so much fun i'm i'm stoked uh yeah this is gonna be great yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast man i'm excited to do a a, a superhero movie on oscar sunday as well it's not it's pretty rare that we get to do that so i'm i'm hyped uh thank you for listening uh follow us on instagram twitter facebook uh filmgasm everywhere and uh thank you for being with us and we'll see you tomorrow